0: Well, we're going to look at Revelation 1, 2, and 3 in the coming weeks. We'll take a little break at Easter time. But we're continuing on thinking about revitalizing the church. And, and the first three chapters of John's revelation here uh, speak to the church. And uh, I will get into the details of that in a moment. But there are seven letters addressed to the seven churches. And chapter 1 is the introduction to those seven letters addressed to churches. And as we think about our church here, or your church wherever you normally go to church, if you're a visitor here with us today, you can look at these seven different churches and how Jesus speaks to them, and you uh, you can measure yourself. You can examine yourself. Uh, how how do we compare with these they were going through difficult times they were discouraged they were small churches living under persecution and jesus speaks to them in the midst of their difficulties their discouragement and 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 seeks to encourage them that's what the book of revelation is seeking to do you know a lot of times we get hung up on prophecy and and all the future events that are described in the later chapters but what we don't realize is that this book was given to encourage the church, the church throughout all time. A lot of people come to Revelation and it's scary with all of its strange imagery, especially in the latter chapters. But we shouldn't come to it with fearfulness, but with uh, an expectancy to be encouraged as the church because Jesus and his church win. That's the ultimate message of the book of revelation so without further uh, ado let us read now god's word revelation chapter one the revelation of jesus christ which god gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant john who bore witness to the word of god and to the testimony of jesus christ even to all that he saw To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us today. Well, what do you think about the church? It seems that everyone has an opinion about the church. There's a lot of criticism of the church And that's from people inside the church. If you go to people outside the church in our culture today, you can get some really scathing commentary if you want to hear that. And there are many who would like to get rid of the church. Now there's a more important question to ask, rather than what do we think about the church, but what does Jesus Christ think about the church? What's his opinion of the church? How does he feel about the church? Now, when I use the word church, I'm not talking about the building, of course. I'm talking about the people, Christians, true Christians, true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation shows us what Jesus thinks of the church. He, He shows us and tells us what Jesus would say to the church so may the Lord give us ears to hear what Jesus thinks of the church what Jesus says to the church today we're going to get more into what Jesus thinks of the church and then in the coming weeks we'll hear what Jesus has to say to the church now as I said before the book of Revelation can be a bit intimidating a bit scary because it's a little different uh, genre of literature than what we are used to in modern days. But I love how Sinclair Ferguson, in this quote that I've given you on your outline, speaks of of it. He says, The book of Revelation is not a puzzle to be solved in your armchair, but a vision of Jesus Christ to carry you out into your daily life and especially those situations where you are likely to cave into the pressure of the world or those situations where your witness to Jesus Christ has been marginalized. So today I want us to see two things. First, the concern that Jesus has for the church. And then secondly, the comfort that Jesus brings to the church. Well, the the concern Jesus has for the church is illustrated here in the very first two verses tells us that this book that we uh, have begun to read is a revelation of Jesus Christ to his servants. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw now who are the servants to whom John delivers the revelation Jesus gives this revelation to John and John delivers it to his servants verse 4 tells us that John addresses the seven churches John to the seven churches that are in Asia The Lord is concerned about the church, so God gave this revelation to Jesus, who in turn sent an angel to communicate it to John. John then bore witness by sending the revelation to the seven churches in Asia. Asia is modern-day Turkey. John was exiled on the island of Patmos, it tells us, and that was just off the coast of Turkey, or that is just off the coast of Turkey. Now, these seven churches were just inland and they were on a circular route. So, the letter that he writes here, the, the visions that he receives and records, he can pass them on and, and they can be passed from church to church. Now, there were set more than seven churches in Asia at that time. Why doesn't John address all the churches in Asia? Why just these seven? Well, I believe he does. As you read the, the Revelation here, you notice that numbers are significant. If you've ever read it before, you'll see especially the number seven. It's significant throughout the book. We encounter it several times here in chapter one. You've got seven churches, seven spirits, seven stars, seven lampstands. And then as we read through the book, you're gonna, you, you, if you read on through it, you see seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven angels, seven plagues, seven is a number that is symbolic here. uh, The number seven symbolizes completeness or perfection. And I don't think it's an accident that, that this revelation is addressed to seven churches, not six churches, not eight churches, seven churches. Because these churches symbolize the complete church of Christ. So this revelation is for all the church throughout the ages. The church. The whole entire complete church. The revelation that we see here was not just for those people, but it's for us today. And he tells us in verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So this entire book is written for the benefit of the church. Now, these seven particular churches were living in a time of terrible persecution. There were people out there who wanted to destroy the church, who wanted the church to go away, much like it is today. I, I read an article this week that was written uh, from statistics from a, uh, an organization, a charitable organization that deals with the persecuted church and they say that the the persecution of Christians going on right now is the worst in history. The worst in history. last two years, somewhere between 200,000 and 600,000 Christians worldwide endured some form of persecution. There are 13 particular countries that you can go to and look at and you can see where persecution of Christians is rife very very bad these days thankfully we don't endure much of the physical persecution so many in the world endure today but we find that there is pressure and we're increasingly marginalized as Christians in our society here in America so their situation is much like the world situation and we can draw a lot from this The faith of some of those people to whom John sent this revelation was wavering. Others, we will find, were lapsing into apathy, and their love for Christ had grown cold. You know, I think we can relate to these people's lives. Have you ever struggled to remain faithful in the midst of trial or temptation? Has your love for the Lord grown cold? Surely we can all say yes to those questions. Now Jesus wanted these people to whom John addressed this revelation to know something. And he wants the church today to know something. And what is that? He wants us to know him. Notice what this is, this book. It's not just a a record of future events. This is... Verse 1, a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not just a revelation that comes from Christ, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ Himself. It shows us Christ. He is showing us something about Himself, and that's what we need in these difficult times in which we live. In this book, we see Christ victorious over every enemy. And you can say that the theme of the entire book is found in Revelation 17:14, where it says, "They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of Lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful." Jesus wins in the end. and he's revealing to us that he's going to do that, and that is, he's going to build his church. If you look at that verse in Matthew 16 that we looked at a few weeks ago, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, Revelation is the video version of that verse. We see it in crazy pictures of how Jesus is going to build his church. The gates of hell will try to prevail against it, but they will be unsuccessful. Christ wants us to know that. That's when we have this book. And the first vision that John receives is of Christ among the golden lampstands, which are the churches, it tells us there at the end of the chapter. In the latter half of chapter one, we have John telling us the first vision that he has. You know, he's sending this out, he's receiving this vision. And the very first thing he sees is. One like the Son of Man, Jesus, and he is walking among the golden lampstands. He's walking among the churches. You think about the context of, of what, where this revelation uh, was sent. Can you imagine the first recipients of this revelation reading this for the first time? John, It's coming from John, their beloved pastor. Their friend John sends them this this revelation with eager anticipation. They read to see what Christ is revealing through the apostle. And the first thing that is revealed through that vision is Jesus Christ walking among the golden lampstands. These lampstands are the church. Can you imagine what this meant to those first century beleaguered Christians? They probably thought that Christ had abandoned them that Christ had forgotten about the church. You can imagine that they were discouraged with the difficulty of following Jesus. But here they see Christ walking among the church. He has not abandoned His church. His kingdom is marching on. His presence is with them and with us today. Christ is still among the lampstands. And also He holds these seven stars in His hands which symbolize angels. Now there's some debate about what the word angel uh, refers to here. The, the word angel means messenger. And on occasions, of course we do know there the are angels in the Bible, but on several in several places in Scripture where the term angel is used, uh, it's referring to human beings as messengers from God. And you'll notice that the messages that are sent to these individual churches in chapters 2 and 3 are written to the angels of each of the churches. For Revelation two one to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Now this probably refers to the minister, the elder of the church, the messenger, the one who gave the message to the people in those local bodies. So again, Christ has not abandoned his church. He holds his... Leaders, the leaders of those churches, in his hands. Jesus is concerned about the church. It's his institution on earth, and he is going to build it and protect it, and no enemy will prevail against it. That's the picture he's sending to these beleaguered Christians. Now, look at the comfort he brings to the church. Leon Morrison, his commentary on Revelation says, to all outward appearance, their situation, the churches." was hopeless but it is only as Christ is seen for what he really is that anything else can be seen for what it really is so for these persecuted ones it was important that first of all the glory and the majesty of the risen lord be made clear now it's no mistake that there there in chapter 1 you get this clear picture of Christ and his glory laid out And then you have Christ who is present with those churches speaking to them in chapters 2 and 3. And then the next vision in chapter 4, what do they see? A, A window, a door is opened into heaven and you see God on the throne. God is still reigning over the universe even though it looks like all hell has broken loose and there's chaos in the world and the church is dying. God is on the throne Christ is among the lampstands. It was true then, and it is true now. Look at who he is. Chapters, uh, verses 4 and 5 tell us that he is a faithful witness. Christ, the faithful witness, verse 5. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. He's the faithful witness. That word witness is the same word for martyr. If you give the ultimate witness to Christ, you die for Christ. And Jesus was faithful. He bore a faithful testimony. He was the first uh, martyr, if you will, because he laid down his life for the church. He loves the church so much that he died for it. He died to create the church. So he is the faithful witness now the people in John's day were struggling to witness. They were marginalized in society. They, they couldn't get a job. In order to, to get a job, you had to, to say, Caesar is Lord. Or then if you didn't say, Caesar is Lord, you couldn't join the guilds, the professional associations, and you couldn't get a job. And they, these Christians refused to say that Caesar is Lord because only Jesus is Lord And so they were struggling to witness because of persecution. But here they have a vision of Christ, the faithful witness. They're reminded that Christ suffered and died for the church. And that would be an encouragement to them and to us as we see that Christ values his church. He died to create the church. And the church ought to be important to us, that we would be faithful to witness to what Christ has done to create the church. And then it tells us that he is the firstborn of the dead. And if you skip down to verse 17, this same idea comes out where he, John falls at his feet when he sees the Son of Man, and he, Jesus reaches out to him and says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. We're a few weeks from Easter, but that's what it's talking about. Christ conquered death. He holds the keys to death and Hades. He holds our destiny in his hand. No one else. Not the enemies of the church. Christ holds the keys of death and Hades. And and no one goes in or out without his permission. And he is the ruler of the kings on earth. Now the kings on earth were the ones who were persecuting these poor Christians. The rulers of the kings of the earth in places like Saudi Arabia and Egypt, they're the ones persecuting the church. But he is their ruler. He controls them. He allows these things to happen. So that's who he is and what an encouragement to us as we face the difficulties of living the Christian life in our day and time. The challenges of of growing a church when we're marginalized somewhat in society. We just need to look to Christ and be reminded of who he is. And not only who he is but what he has done. Verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, he loves us. He loves his church. He has not abandoned his church. He loved us and he has freed us from our sins by his blood. He has called us to himself. He has cleansed us. He is making us holy, devoted to him. He is brought us into his body his church his institution on earth and he is not going to abandon us look at what he's already done he laid down his life for us and he has made us a kingdom the church is the kingdom of christ on earth it should be a priority for us the church it's not something that we can yeah we criticize it sometimes but not something that we can flippantly throw off to the side and say, I don't need the church. I remember I was, I was walking around the town that I lived in, in in England and I was looking at this old church that was in the town and uh, it was the oldest building in town and there was a preaching cross, uh, kind of a built-up platform and then a cross carved out of limestone there. John Wesley had preached from that preaching cross and so i'm there just touring around looking at this old building they were they were trying to sell it to me and you know it was a money pit i didn't want it but it was a very interesting place and this fellow was walking around too and we got to talking about church and christianity and he says i don't believe in organized religion and you've heard this you know i believe i can worship god on the golf course as well as in any church Jesus does not agree with that. Nothing wrong with playing golf. But there is something wrong with neglecting his kingdom, his church that he died to create. He has made us a kingdom. And we ought to be about kingdom business in our lives. He has made us a priest, made us priests to his God and Father. we are his ambassadors we take the gospel to the world we share this good news of Christ dying for sinners the sacrifice needed to make us holy to make us his church He has given us that responsibility so we see who he is we see what he has done what he is doing in the world he is building his church and if you're not connected to the church you're not on the same program with Jesus And then finally we see what he will do. Verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He is coming again. He is the one who matters most because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is, was, and is to come. That sums it all up. He's everything. He's the priority. And He is coming. And everybody will see Him. And the ones who have rejected Him will wail on account of Him. Are we prepared for the Lord's coming? As a church, are we plowing? Do we have our hand to the plow? Or are we continuing to do what he has called us to do as his people? Or have we succumbed to discouragement? Have we become disheartened in our walk with the Lord? I want to encourage you today with this good news. that What Christ is doing in the world, it, it looks dim and dark where we are and in other places in the world. But the the church is moving forward worldwide. It is continuing to grow even in spite of the persecution. He is building his church. The evidences of it might not be all that apparent to us where we are. But he is building his church. There are people flocking into churches in other parts of the world. That's what he's doing. May God do the same here again. May we be ready and prepared and and to be told well done good and faithful servant when he does come again let us pray together